Thank you. Well, I'm going to have Juan come back up and, and sing my sermon for the morning because it'll keep you interested. For the rest, it's me. I'm back. They let me come back. Hey, grab your Bibles. If this is your first time, my name is Brian. I'm in charge of the nursery here, and I love children. Can you imagine? Oh, man. Your kids would be jacked up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Luke chapter 7 is where we are. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, if you don't have any of those, it'll be behind me, or if you can use the Bible right there in front of you. Uh, a couple, a few weeks ago, I was just walking along with the family, and uh, I kind of take it for granted. I mean, we always hear it's the most wonderful time of the year. Like, who doesn't like Christmas? And so I was walking along, and this teenage girl just walked, out of the blue, just walked by with her friends, and I heard her say these words. I heard her say, I hate Christmas. Out of blue. I mean, we weren't at like a church or anything. It's just out in the blue. I hate Christmas. And I was just like, oh. I was like, so I went and tackled her. I said, love Christmas. <laughs> no, I didn't do that because she'd be dead. But I just couldn't, I didn't understand it. <clears throat> How could you not like Christmas until I had to stop and go, wait a minute. I don't know. I don't know what happened a Christmas ago for her. I don't know what happened to her with her family or some situation happened or Something maybe this, this year happened. She's hating the idea of Christmas coming. And I don't know what happened. I, started jump, I was like, why am I jumping to conclusions that everyone loves Christmas? And then it kind of hit me. It's like, I wonder how many here today are sitting there going, I, I usually have. But this year's different. Because this year we don't have, and whoever that is. Or you're in a situation and you never imagined that this crisis was going to come. Or you've lost everything and... You're not sure where to look for hope. And so this Christmas is so different. Or maybe there is someone just like that girl back in the day that however many years ago, something happened around Christmas. And every time it comes up, Christmas doesn't bring about the idea of Jesus. Christmas brings about the idea of that thing. And so if you're that person, my prayer is this, that you hear the most amazing message of hope ever because God invades and does something huge in your life. If this is your first time back in church in a while, or you've never been to church, this is your first time. My prayer is that you see, here's the reason. I mean, from cover to cover, the book talks about, here's the purpose of Christmas. I know we think that, oh, it's Luke chapters, like one and two, they talk about, Matthew talks about, that's really about it. No, no, it's cover to cover, is the message of Christmas. We just look at it for, I don't know, about 20 days in December. I mean, if you work at Lowe's, it starts in September, but I mean, for the rest of us. (laughs) <laughs> that's when we start thinking about it. And maybe you're here today and you just love Jesus like crazy. Everyone in between. And if you love him like crazy, then my prayer is this, that we're reminded so much of the hope of Christmas. And so that's the title of today, Hope. And so let's pray together. We'll jump in. Jesus, we give you thanks for today. We thank you for the reason for the season. It's such a cliche. We say it all the time. But God, we thank you for it. The reminder of what it is that you did. And so I pray that today would be something that just blows our minds. That we're left in awe once again. That the things that we might get frustrated over are no longer the things that we focus on. And the, the catastrophe, the crisis that has just consumed us, maybe we get a little bit of a break. But only you can do that. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Keep me out of the way that we might hear you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Genesis 1.1. We'll just start in the beginning. In the beginning, God... Isn't it weird that the beginning began and God already was there? No one started God. God's always been. He's the uncaused cause. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, cre- he, the creator created 
And isn't he creative? Have you traveled enough and looked around and thought, man, God, you're pretty good at what you did. I mean, he could have just made the whole thing flat. I mean, you don't need colors to live. You don't need hills. You just, you just, you just can live. You don't need taste buds. What if he just made us eat and we didn't taste anything? But you realize even scripture tells us in First Timothy chapter 6 that God provides everything for our enjoyment. And so if you've traveled at all, aren't there just some sights that you've seen that just kind of leave you speechless? And if you haven't traveled much, at least you have like your screensaver on your computer. And it just shows those pictures of where you'd like to go if you had the money. And don't just, some of them just make you go, oh. And how'd he do it? He just spoke it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First thing he says, let there be light. And light, boom, appears. I mean, he creates it from his imagination. Guys, that's impressive. That out of the mouth of God, light explodes at 186,000 miles per second. He creates every living creature, everything that swims, everything that flies. And he's just creating. And what would it have been like to just be there to watch this all unfold? We're angelic beings just sitting in silence as they watched their creator just create. Good night. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then two chapters later, we broke it. Two chapters. Now, I don't, have you ever notice that the scripture never says how long that was? It doesn't say if it was days or weeks or years or decades. It doesn't say. It just says that two chapters later, here we are. And they had the greatest life. Think about it. Adam and Eve walking around naked. No laundry. Amen. Right? I mean, if anything, if there's a reason not to sin, it is no laundry. That should have been the curse. If you sin, you will have to have clothes. What are those? Laundry. Oh, I don't want that. Oh, they were tempted to eat a piece of fruit. No, they weren't. Like, no, they weren't. No, here's what they were tempted with. If you eat that piece of fruit, what will happen? You will be like God. That was the temptation. They wanted to be like him. Which is the same thing with us. Why? Because we don't like people telling us what to do. If we're in charge, no one can tell us anything. So in the beginning, God creates it. Two chapters later, we break it. And you would think that God could just sit there and go, okay, good luck. See you later. Uh -uh. We break it. Now, what's Adam do? Think about it. Remember? They break it. They realize they're naked, which has got to be the most eye-opening experience in the world. That you're just kind of like, you're, you're free. We sin. What? And then you're freaking out because you're naked and don't know what to call it because you've never been that. So you, you know it happened. So you cover yourself up with leaves, which is not smart because leaves dry out and that's got to be uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, you hear God walking in the cool of the day. Okay, because this is a normal thing. God's showing up to walk, to be with you. And the fact that he has to call out and you're hiding means that you didn't do that before. So they hide. God says, Adam, where are you? And then he comes out. Uh, I hid myself because I was naked. And then God asks that question. Hey, who told you you were naked? Parents, where are you at? You ever caught your kids in that lie? You just let them go, little wiggle for a while. You're like, let me see how far they'll go with this. And then you, it's crazy. The lies they tell, you could write novels. I mean, they would make movies out of these things. And then all of a sudden they say that one line and all you have to say is like, who told you? And then they, this is all you do, this is all I say. Oh no, I'm going to die. 
And the reason you know they're thinking that is because that's what you were thinking when you got caught. Who told you you were naked? Like, what happened? And then what's he do? Valiant, honorable husband. Blames God and his wife. You see this naked lady by me? The one you gave me? Yeah, she did it. Here's Adam threw his wife under the bus called God. And what's he do? He's like, Eve, what did you do? Devil made me do it. I didn't do it. It wasn't his fault because he's not smart anyways. But this one, yeah, this one got me. Can you imagine the serpent just sitting there nodding? Like, yep, I broke it. Friends, all you have to do is watch the local news. I'm not saying the news that divides us politically. I'm just talking about the local news. Just as proof that it's all broken, right? I mean, isn't that the most depressing two minutes of your life? To just constantly look at it and go, gosh, this is what it's like now? All the while forgetting that God looked at day one, two, three, four, five, six and said, it's good. And on day seven, when he rested, it's like he sat back, looked at all he'd created and said, this is very good. And two days later, we broke it. And it's been broken since. But still in chapter three, what does God do? It's the first picture of God's grace in restoring us to himself. Say, what do you mean? He looks at their leaves that are kind of falling off of them. He says, this isn't going to work. So he makes them garments of skin, skin from an animal. How do you get skin from an animal? You have to sacrifice the animal. That's the first sacrifice for the covering of sin. And that's the, that first sacrifice for the covering of sin points us to Jesus and what it is that he's going to do. So right after they mess up, right after the curse comes the grace. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. It's not like, I'm going to make you think about, you'll go to your room and think about what you've done. They already knew. That in the same chapter as God's introduction, this is what I'm going to do. See, I am with them. When God's looking at Adam and Eve and the times that he spent just being with them and now it's broke, the thing that needs to happen is what? A sacrifice has to be made for the covering of sin so that what? He can be with us. And every sacrifice in the Old Testament points us to Jesus' sacrifice. That's the purpose of them. You get to Isaiah chapter 7. The writer says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. Catch that. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. That's an impressive sign. That's when you know that God stepped in. He said, I go, what do you mean? Guys, if you don't know how this whole thing works and you got kids, I don't know how that happened. But that doesn't happen. Virgins don't conceive and give birth to sons because they haven't. Anyway, so we'll go on. If you don't know it, talk to somebody else about it. The virgin conceives, gives birth to a son and shall call his name, say it, Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Genesis chapter one, everything starts and God creates man and woman, chapters one and two, God with us. We break it, he covers. Even in chapter seven of Isaiah, God is saying, this is what's going to happen. I'm coming to you, God with us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ and you don't believe in Christianity, in fact, you, you're so skeptical, skeptical about it, at least give Christianity some credit. Why? Because it's creative. I mean, what other religion on the planet says, hey, God became a baby who became a man. Fully God, fully man at the same time. No one does that. Every other religion says, hey, be good or you're going to perish. Be good or you're going to burn. Be good or you're dead. 
And hopefully at the end of your life, 51-49, you win. But you never know. Tell me what other religion tells that. Tells the story of God on a rescue mission. Nothing else. So at least give it some credit. You may say, I don't believe that. That's fine. At least, at, say, at least say it's creative. Because no other religion says that. Then you get to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Then you get to verse 14. And he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Both of them elevated. So for those that fight for truth and you forget grace, you don't look like Jesus. And you're, some of you are all about grace, but you don't hold to any truth. You don't look like Jesus. It's got to be both. He's the epitome of both. It's not like he has a lot of grace and a lot of truth. No, no, he is the fullness of grace in truth. But is God dwelling with us? So we get to Luke chapter 7. So you're sitting there going, that is the longest intro I've ever heard in my life. Get ready, because you got some more. Chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So just picture Jesus has been doing miraculous things. He's been teaching. There is this great crowd of people. I bet it's more than seven. There is this massive great crowd following Jesus wherever he goes. Why? Because they love to hear what he says. Absolutely. But they definitely want what he has. They want to be healed. He just got done healing a centurion servant. So he knows people know, okay, he heals. And he's been healing people all over the place. So this guy is something. So Jesus is walking along to this tiny little town. This great crowd is coming. But on the other side is this widow who's going to bury her son. And there's this considerable crowd. Not as big as this one, but it's pretty big. Do you ever feel like you're just kind of part of the crowd? It's weird. We can get together in massive crowds for celebration. And then we, can, we get together in considerable crowds when we have to mourn. There's something about being in community. I look at this and I go, man, I don't know about you. Just sometimes I feel like, God, are you sure? I mean, are you sure, are you sure you're noticing this guy? Or am I just one of the seven billion? You're just trying to keep the puppies in the box. But watch the next part. Ready? Blows your mind. It blew my mind when I looked at it. And when the Lord saw I stopped. I went, wow. It didn't say he saw the crowd and then looked and gazed to find her. It say he's looking at his own crowd. Then he's looking around and oh, he saw the dead body first and went to her. No, no, no. He saw her. There's a massive crowd, but he saw her. So does it do anything for you in the midst of whatever, whatever it is that you're facing? Whatever it is that you're going through? The loss that, you, that you've experienced. Does it do anything for you to know that God sees you. I mean, doesn't it at least help a little bit? Now, some would say, no, it doesn't help. Because if he sees me, he could have stopped it. We'll get in that in just a second. But at least you notice that he notices. He saw her, and then what's the next part? And had compassion on her. He said, oh, well, that's Jesus. How often is it saying that Jesus had compassion? He always had, he always had compassion on people. But what, do you think it's different this time? You think it's different? Maybe he relates a little bit more with this whole situation than we think. Remember when Jesus was born, he had Mary and 
Joseph. And Joseph's meant he seems involved. He's like the kind of guy that probably coached, you know, Jesus' soccer team. Jesus always won. And then he's 12, remember? They go to the temple and they start caravanning back. So they probably, it's probably not just them. It's probably Joseph and Mary and the kids and then a group of people. They always traveled in groups to be safe. And so can you imagine? I mean, Mary said one thing to Joseph. Joseph, I will grab everything else. I have the pack and play. I got the backpack. I got the stroller. Can you just get Jesus? Got it. What's he say? I don't remember. So they're just walking along. And all of a sudden, Joseph remembers. <gasps> Looks around. Mary goes, where's Jesus? I thought you had him. She's all carrying the stuff. <laughs> Can you imagine the feeling? They looked at each other thinking, did we just lose God? <laughs> I mean, we had, we had one job on the planet. We just lost God. Can you imagine the angels going, are you serious? Father, are you serious? Them? They lost your kid. So maybe the angels are all moving with the rings. Come on, come on, come on. They're just leading them. Are you serious? Come on, come on. Like, we got to find God. This is going to go down in history. We lost our kid. We lost God. They go back to the temple. What are you doing here? It's kind of hard to reprimand God. You're grounded. No, I'm not. Okay. You're crowned it for two weeks. Okay, makes the earth go quicker. Two weeks, done. Okay. It's like, why are you here? It's that I had to be in my father's house. But then you never hear about Joseph again. He's involved in the beginning. Why do we never hear about him? It's probably because he died early. So is it possible that Jesus had this compassion for her? Because Jesus watched his mom go through the pain of losing her husband. And knew what it felt like. And Jesus knew that he was going to take a cross. And knew what Mary was going to go through. As she watched her son die. So could it be that Jesus is sitting there going. It's not just that I have compassion because I feel bad for them. I have compassion because I relate with her. And isn't it great to know that the writer of Hebrews applies it to the rest of us. That we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. But we, want, but we have one who has been tempted in every way and yet was without sin. So what's that mean? He can sympathize with all of us. Like he gets it. He has compassion for us. Now it's one thing to see. It's one thing to feel this compassion. And then he goes up to her and speaks. Guys, compassion not acted upon is kind of a wasted emotion, don't you think? Like, oh, I feel something for them. I got to go get some lunch. And then you go off and you forget. Maybe that Jesus puts that on us by his Holy Spirit. My compassion, my heart is aching for them. And maybe Jesus is saying, the reason that your heart is aching for them is because my heart is aching for them. And welcome to your mission. Welcome to your purpose. This is why your heart breaks, because it's my heart in you. Compassion not acted upon. It's kind of a wasted emotion. But he goes up to her and says, what? It seems kind of rude. Do not weep. It's a funeral. Guys, if, God forbid, if, if something happened to Kelly and we're doing a funeral here and you come up and I'm bawling my eyes out because I'm like, this is my one shot. I have a hot woman who loves Jesus to be married to me and it's over. And then you walk up going, Brian, don't cry. I'm going to chop you in the throat. Like in that moment, I'm like, oh, you're right. Oh, love Jesus. 
Guys, that's not what you say. That's just, that, I don't know. To me, that seems like the rudest thing you could say. Unless you're God. Unless you know what's coming. Because look what he says next. Verse 14. Then he came up, touched the buyer, and, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Why well, put that line in there? I say to you. Who cares? I mean, who else is talking to the dead guy? Dead man. Young man. I say to you. Oh, that helps. Unless you remember. The one who is standing before this dead man is the one who said, let there be light. He's the one who said, hey, let the water separate from the land. Let the days be divided. Let there be the sun to govern the day and the moon for the night. Let the stars be in the expanse of the universe. Let every crawling creature be there. Let every animal, let every tree, let every type of vegetation, let every swimming being in the seas come about. The one who started it all, the one who gave life into Adam and Eve is the one who stands before the dead guy and says, I say to you, Arise. There's authority in that. There's power in that. So I can see why Jesus would all of a sudden go, no, no, I know you're looking at this and think that it's hopeless, but I'm telling you, I say to you, welcome to my hobby. See, Jesus isn't about making bad things better. Jesus is about making dead things alive. That's what he does. I know that you might sit there and go, before Christ I was pretty good. No, no, you were dead. No, 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 I was pretty, no, no, you were dead. I was dead. We were dead. We weren't looking for God. We weren't calling for God. No, I was a pretty moral person. Dead. No, no, I was doing some pretty good things. According to the holiness of God, compared to his holiness and his perfection, Dead. All of our good deeds like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. We're dead. We're not seeking after God. We're not calling out to him. He woos us. He comes for us. So every single one of us who have come to Christ, we have this amazing testimony. How do I know? Because before Christ, we were dead. Then he comes into us and makes us alive. Welcome to your miraculous story. This is incredible. Can you imagine everyone standing there? Did he, just, did he just say that? I bet the place is glued. And then verse 15 happens. And the dead man sat up. Friends, have you ever dreamt about what it'd be like to drive a hearse? <laughs> just let it go for just a second. You just drive along, just you, by yourself. Meatball sub while you're driving. The worst sounds you could hear driving that hearse, because it's just you and the dead guy, is this. <laughs> There's no way you just sit there and go, that's fine. That's fine. At some point, you know, you have that thought go, what the is that? Right? And then you try to, you know, you, you get away. Like, oh, you have, when you hear the noise in the engine, it's like, I should probably get that fixed. What do you do? Turn the stereo up. Just ignore it. It's fine. The stereo fixed it every time. But all of a sudden, you hear this, and then that sucker opens, and the dude sits up. That's when you lose it. 
You lose it. I mean, you jump out of the hearse. Don't stop. Just let it go. What if he gets hurt? He's been dead. He'll be fine. Seriously, let him go. I don't have a way home. Call Uber. It doesn't matter. You got plans. You lose it. Which is what they did. Watch. Verse 16. Fear sees them all. Fear. Fear. Say fear. Fear. Not proper respect. A healthy dose of respect and honor. No, no. Terror. Which makes sense. It's weird. The dad sat up. Not the dad. The guy sat up and started to talk. And I sat there and I thought, the first thing popped in my head, I wonder what he said. <laughs> He's just like, whoa! Whoa! Wow! Hey, can I have a sandwich? I'm hungry. I'm going to ask him when I see him. Fear sees them all. Everyone's terrified. But what they do? They glorified God. In other words, God can do the miraculous. And we'd rather, we'd rather watch a YouTube video over and over instead of be impressed by the one who does the miraculous. It's like, I don't see the miraculous. It might be because all you're doing is sitting in front of a screen. Like, get outside, get outside your house. Like, talk to people. Those conversations without a phone. And watch what happens. Fear sees them all. They glorify God. And then they almost had it. A great prophet has risen among us. Great prophet. You missed it. You ever notice how quick we are to jump on the people that are in the process of trying to figure this Jesus stuff out? Which is all of us. And if someone says it doesn't quite fit with your theological background, man, we're so quick to make sure they understand. You're wrong. This is what it says. I have 44 verses. I have 46 verses. Oh, I got to find two more. <laughs> Prophet is risen among us. But what did they say right after that? God has visited his people. Do you see it again there in Luke? God has visited his people. Guys, they're blown away at what they saw. And the thing is, none of them would have had this experience of what happened. If the, if the man never died, they wouldn't have had this experience. Guys, it takes the crisis to be re- reintroduced to Christ and his glory sometimes. We say, God, I want to see you do the miraculous. I want to see you do incredible things. I just don't want to be the one you use to bring it about. Like, use that person. I don't really like them. So use them. They need you more than I do. But at least I can take some pictures. Hashtag God still lives. Do you really think that this woman, this mom, when Jesus gave her back, that's what it says, Jesus gave her son back to her. Do you think that he, she looked at him and said this? Yeah, but you let him die. Moms, would you say that? No. So you said they go, I would. That's because you don't have kids. Or you are so skeptical, you will look for any reason to be angry with Jesus as if he failed you in some way. There's no way. Even as a dad, I cannot imagine myself looking at Jesus going, yeah, but he died. I'd just be sitting there going, ha, 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 And grab my kid. And I would never want to experience it again. Because that's got to be the hardest thing to go through. As a parent, that has to be the most horrific thing to have to go through. It's not supposed to work like that. 
And yet when, God, when, when Jesus said, here is your son, I guarantee you at no point does she just point her finger and yeah, but I bet she just was blown away. And that experience would have never happened if the crisis never came. Fear seizes them all. And they give glory to God. A few weeks ago, we had my favorite worship service of all time, every year. I love this, it's my favorite. It's the thankful service. It's Thanksgiving Eve. I don't know if, you were, I don't know if all of you were, grew up coming to Pomona or I didn't. I just, I lived in Glendora and we had this tiny little church. And so every Thanksgiving Eve, we just did this. And so seriously, if you were coming, we just had acoustic worship. I preached for like 10 minutes. You're like, no way. I'm like, absolutely. Because I don't get paid for the, by the word on Wednesday nights there. I get paid by the word on Sundays, but not on Wednesday nights. So that's why I keep going. I'm just racking up. I'm just racking up the dollars. <laughs> so I, I preach like 10 minutes. I don't go along. Why? Because this is what we do. We just have microphones that go around the room. And we just start off, hey, what are you thankful for? What do you want to thank God for? One year, I remember, a little five-year-old girl in the front raises her hand. Mom has that look. Like, this is cute, but is this going to embarrass me? And I have that look going, God, is this good? So she gets the mic, and that's all she says. I just want to thank God for my mom. I know. Tears are coming down. Mom's like, I just love you so much. I just love you. All the other moms are like, come on. Come on. Say, say, uh-uh. Oh, I'm not thankful for this. Seriously, right after she does that, guy in the back, right afterwards, this is a couple years, stands up. I couldn't even see him. There was, there was a shadow. He goes, I want to thank God for a month of sobriety. And it was like that all over the place, just back and forth. Because you ever notice that when you're just looking at your life, how often it feels like God's not doing something. But when you start hearing all these people and situations that God brought them out of and how God's helping, you just sit there and go, wow, you've been busy. Jesus, you've been, you've been busy. This past year, a few weeks ago, a woman in the front stands up. She says, I want to thank God because 19 years ago, God freed me, set me free from addiction to drugs. She went through her story. It was eloquent. I mean, everyone's just like, oh. And she just kept going and talking about it. I was like, wow. I mean, it's just one thing after another, but hers, man, it stuck. That thing hit me. You know why? Because I sat there and I was listening to Lisa Patterson sharing that story of her own life. And I went, how amazing is that God takes her from that and makes her our children's pastor? <laughs> I sat there and went, dang, Jesus, you got such a sweet sense of humor. From dead to alive. I just looked at that. And here's the best part. On top of that. Young girl. Never been to a church before. I think her daughter's come. I think she's brought her before. But she's never really attended. She comes to thankful for the first night. She hears about Lisa Patterson's story. About how God used Teen Challenge. This girl that came for the first time. She had just gotten out of Teen Challenge a month ago. I was able to talk to Lisa about it. On Totally Connected. Lisa took her over to the H building. Was able to talk about Celebrate Recovery. And who better to make sure that her daughter got involved in our church than the children's pastor that God freed 19 years ago. And I just sat there and went, Jesus, you still do it. You still do it. Now, there may some, some of you may be judging on that. And I just sit there and go, wow, remember your past and remember your pride. And I look at that and go, wow, God, you are Amazing. Now watch the end. Verse 17. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. You know what they did? They just bragged. They bragged about Jesus. Hey, let's take the word evangelism out of it for just a second. Because you hear evangelism, you're like, oh. 
But if I say, hey, parents, grandparents, do me a favor. Could you brag to me about your kids? You sit there, hey, sit down. No, 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 just one. I'm going to tell you about all my grandkids every event, every time since they've been born. And you're just going to go. And I'm just going to sit there going, praying for God to come back. (laughs) I was the wrong question. But it doesn't take any effort, right? You just start bragging. So what if evangelism is just bragging about Jesus? What if it's back to the simplicity of just saying, hey, this is what Jesus did. They didn't go through and run around and going, hey, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. This is how I can prove it. Jesus is the creator of everything. This is how I can prove it. Maybe all they said is, we were there. The dude was dead. Then he came back to life. Freaked me out. Jesus is awesome. Well, well, I want to meet him. And then they go. The word spread throughout everywhere. You want to change your neighborhood? Brag about Jesus. You want to brag about your town? Brag about Jesus. What about voting? Brag about Jesus. Brag about Jesus. Change your state. Brag about Jesus. Change the nation. Change the world. Brag about Jesus. That's how it it happened in the first century. That's how Rome collapsed. They just bragged about Jesus. Word spread. The message is what? God with us. So that we can be with him. I'll close with this. Revelation chapter 21. Just so you know, it goes from Genesis to Revelation. Ready? Verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Why would John be so excited there was no more sea? Guys, we're beach people. That's why we pay so much to live here. We don't have to deal with snow and we have the beach. Why is he saying no more sea? He's sitting there going, oh, I don't get it. What if you were put on an island? And I'm not saying Maui. You're like, I would love it. Introverts, this is where introverts are like, would I be by myself? I love it. Okay, so you're ready to go. But you're left there to die. No food, no water, just left there to die. And what's, separ- what's separating you from life? The sea. And John says there's no more separation. No more separation. It's not like that anymore. It goes on. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Guys, I've done enough weddings. You know what the joy is? I get to hang with the groom before. Most of the time, they're pretty cool. And then as it gets time, the person can say, hey, it's time. You're like, <laughs> and you look, boom. Turns a little bit white. And I'm like, yeah, game time. And I try, I try to lose some, try to lose some, you know, try to lose some up, say, 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 some, say some jokes. And then I look at them and go, hey, man, you got this? Yeah, I'm good. We're good. It's like game time. We're all powwow. We're ready to go. And I go, hey, dude, wouldn't it suck if right before you saw her, you go blind? Come on, let's go. And then we walk out. <laughs> I try to do it to every groom. Why? Because I can. So I do that. But I'm telling you, all these tough, I mean, the toughest guys are standing next to me. Once the bride comes in, no matter how tough, I don't think I've seen one groom not at least quiver. This. Why? Because he's sitting there going, I can't believe you said yes to this. There's something about that moment. The music starts and everyone stands, puts their eyes on the bride. Then who's the next one you look at? Groom. That boy better be crying. You don't deserve this. Do you see this picture? This is the picture. Picture the wedding. And Jesus saying this. It's like this. The groom is Jesus. The bride is us. And Jesus is sitting there going, this, this is what it was for. This is why I came. This is why I put myself in a manger. 
This is why I took a cross. This is why I resurrected. This is what it was all about. You with me and me with you. This was it. This was the plan all along. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, a loud voice from the throne. So God sitting on the throne, he got loud. For those of you who like to complain about the volume in church music, you will hate heaven. Because Jesus gets loud. He gets loud. What's he say? As he's yelling it, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. From Genesis to Revelation, the story, the theme, the message of the gospel, the message of Christmas is God with us that we might be with him, period. And pardon the bluntness, but for those of you that get offended by Starbucks cups, get a life. There's no snowflakes and no Santa. Those aren't even in the Christmas story. Get over it. How about this? The cup is red. God created red. Therefore, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. And if your love for the Christmas message is based upon a cup, then you're looking at, not at Jesus. It is Jesus and the majestic message of God with us so that we could be with him. That's it. That's the story. May we never, ever again lose sight of the hope. Would we stand? Can we pray together? Jesus, we thank you for the message of hope. And may we go out and brag about it. To you we say Merry Christmas. Thanks for giving it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says amen. Amen. Love you all more than you know. We'll see you later today.